Someone this past Thursday said, Father Mark, you made it through your first week and the church is still standing. And I thought, if those are the expectations for me, that I just don't burn the church down, I think I'm all right. Three things. First things first, our response and an invitation. So first, first things first. Beginning today and the following six weeks, we'll be hearing from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you've never read through the book of Ephesians, I encourage you throughout maybe this week, real short book, six chapters, you could read it over a cup of coffee. Well, Paul's writing from a, from a prison, a Roman prison, and he's writing in hopes to fortify, to fortify the believers that he's talking to. So these are a group of Christians that are seeking maturity in the faith. And these words that Paul's about to say, that he's about to write them, he knows that there's a good chance they've already heard it. Paul began the church in Ephesus, but now he's writing it. And even though they may have already heard these things, Paul's not taking any chances. He's saying that I, he, inside, he's saying, I need to know that you understand this, Paul is saying. So we hear from the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we hear for the, through the verse 14, and Paul just saying, again, wanting to make sure that these people that he's writing Ephesus understands. And we hear that the first couple of verses is an introductory greeting. Verse four and five says this. Paul says that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ in accord with the favor of his will. This is the thing Paul starts with. It's the thing that Paul wants to drive home to this, Christian, to this Christian community that he's writing in Ephesus. He wants to make sure that they're firmly established in what it is that God has done for them. He wants to make sure that they know what it is that God has accomplished for them. Namely, that they've been chosen by God, that they've been claimed that they've been adopted by what Jesus did. See, we needed to be claimed, you and I did. Because of the result of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we were born into sin. We didn't have a home when we were born. Paul elsewhere in his, in his, in his letters describes it as, as us being born under the power of two, two dominions, is what he would say. The dominion and power of sin and the dominion and power of death. Those two things, sin and death, we were born into, you and I were, as babies. And we had no way under our own power to get out from under them. Those two things, those two powers are easy to prove. Everybody in this church this morning knows what it's like to say, I know this is wrong, I don't wanna do it because I know it's wrong, and then I find myself doing it anyways. That's the power of sin. Power of death, of course, is easy to prove as well. I think that since I've been here, I've celebrated now three funerals. There's no escaping from death. We've got no power over death. So God sent his son, Paul is saying, hear this, first things first, know that you've been claimed because of what it is that Jesus did on the cross, that he died. That now we have a home after our baptism, 
as little Landon after this mass will get baptized. When he gets baptized, Landon after this mass, he'll get baptized and he'll have a home. Because of what it is that Jesus did, Paul's saying this is first things first. He wants us to fully grasp it, but it's difficult for us to grasp it sometimes. Especially maybe those of us that have grown up in a church entire life like myself. What does it truly mean to be born under the powers of sin and death? There's a great image for this, I think, that I ran across, I think it was close to a year ago now. Someone sent to me a, a, a video, a YouTube video of, the video was a, of a little 11-year-old boy who was sitting in the middle of a living room floor. And it was clearly Christmas morning, and there was a family surrounding this little boy. And as there's presents and wrapping paper and boxes all over the place, you clearly see that things were pretty much finished up with opening. But as the video goes on, you realize that those that are around this little boy, this 11-year-old boy sitting as his legs are crossed in the middle of the floor, you realize that this family are not his family. You see, this little boy didn't have a family. Since he was four years old, because of his troubled upbringing, he bounced around from foster home to foster home to foster home. As he's sitting there, his legs crisscrossed, there's one more present, you realize, and someone comes in and he hands him this last present. And as he's opening the package and tissue paper flies all over the place, he uncovers a framed picture. And the framed picture is of the family that is surrounding him. And then there's a note attached to this framed picture, and the boy begins, as he begins to read this note, as he's halfway through, he just begins to, to his face just, you see it crumble, and he begins to weep. And the, the letter said this, Carter, here's the most recent picture of our family. All of us would love for you to be part of the next picture and for you to be part of our family. Carter, would you like to be a Kiphart and be our son and brother? At this point, this little 11-year-old boy is now hunched over and he's just bawling his eyes out. And you can barely, barely hear him make out the words as he's bawling, saying, thank you so much. And off the screen is the father. You can clearly know it's the father's voice. You can't see it on the, on the, on the video. But this voice, the father says, we're going to adopt you, little buddy. And then the mom comes from behind the boy. The boy's sitting there on the floor and the mom comes from behind and she just bear crawls him, gives him a bear hug from behind and as she's giving him a bear crawl, she puts her mouth an inch away from his ear and just whispers into his ear for about 20, 30 seconds and the audio doesn't pick it up in the video, you can't, you don't know what she's saying but I had to imagine it's something like, you're chosen, you're loved, you have a home now, this is your home. And as the mom is whispering in his ear. He just begins to, to weep harder and harder. This is the thing Paul starts with in his letter. It's the thing that he wants to, us to grasp. First things first, Paul says. He says, remember that you've been chosen. Remember that you've been claimed. Remember of what it is that he did for you and for me, of his death on the cross of us being utterly powerless against the powers of sin and death. 
And now because of his death on the cross, we have a home. As he continues in verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption by his blood for the forgiveness of transgressions in accord with the riches of his grace that have been lavished upon us. Lavished upon us, meaning, it, meaning it's a free gift. Those, those of us that may have been grown up our entire life in the church, sometimes we think, well, Father Mark, I, like, I've done everything right. I've, I'm, I've done these good things. I follow the rules. None of those things can get us into heaven. We can't earn ourselves into heaven. But it's only through his death on the cross that we can get home. What we do and what we don't do is important. It's how we're judged, but we can't get into heaven outside of what he did. And it's and Paul's saying it's not cheap grace. It's the blood from the cross that saves. Or we might be saying, Father Mark, the mistakes that I have, Paul's talking about mistakes, transgressions, the mistakes that maybe that I have or the current habits that maybe I have, that I struggle with. The Lord to us this morning is saying, stop. Let me claim you again. You have a home, which leads us to our, to the, to our response this morning. And I think our response is twofold. And really, they're the only reasonable responses for what you and I to do in the face of what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. And first, that response is that I surrender my life to him. Maybe it's for the first time that I really say, Lord, come into my heart. I give you my life. I intend to here on out begin to try to put you first in my life because I've been not doing that so much lately. You've slipped down my priority list. Or maybe for some of us even, it's a rededicating ourselves to him. Lord, I rededicate my life to you. Maybe, Lord, I need you to break into my heart this morning. The things that are maybe weighing on my shoulders, the things that I'm struggling with, that maybe have caused me to put an arm length to you. I'm asking, Lord, that you help me know you this morning in a way that I haven't known you before of what it is that you've done for me. And make that prayer. That's how we do it in the silence of the moments of maybe after this homily or when we receive the Eucharist. We just want to make a prayer. Lord, come into my heart this morning. I surrender my life to you or I re-surrender my life to you. I owe you my life because you gave me your life. And the twofold response to that, that's the first fold. The second fold response, which is the only reasonable response when we fully grasp what Paul is saying is first things first, is as we talked about last week, the world right now is crying out. We talked about how the life expectancy in the United States is declining because people are despairing. They have no hope. They're in spots of darkness and confusion and hurt. These are our family members that are not here this morning. These are our neighbors and coworkers. And as we talked about that, le la that last week, this week we hear in the gospel, Jesus sending out the apostles two by two. And what the apostles did is they sent out two by two is they brought people out of darkness. 
when they went out two by two, they healed people. They gave people who were without hope, they gave them hope. They say there is a reason to live. Let me show you the way. Let me show you him. Let me tell you what it is that he's done in my life so you can realize that that he's done it for you or that he can do it for you. That you're chosen, that you have a home, that you've been adopted when you were baptized or you can be adopted. And before we turn outward, lastly, it brings us to an invitation. An invitation specifically to this crowd that's gathered here this morning. As I'm well aware that this is a unique crowd here this morning. A unique crowd in the sense that it's in the middle of summer and you're here. That there's still a dispensation There's no obligation to attend Sunday Mass right now in the Diocese of Joliet. Meaning this is a unique crowd. And throughout this week in prayer, the Lord has been just on my heart, this desire to get to know you. To to learn about Notre Dame as I'm the new guy, to learn about Notre Dame from your eyes. As someone told me throughout the week and said, Father Mark, I've been here since the beginning, 1950, I think it was. And I said, wow, I've been here two days. <laughs> but I, I want to I learn from you. I want to I hear about Notre Dame and, and, and see it from your, your lenses and eyes who've been here longer than me. And so that's why over the course of the next two months, throughout the rest of July and through the end of August, I'm going to block out times that block out times every week, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, sometimes in the evening, and I want to meet you. Come in by yourself individually, come in with your spouse, come in as an entire family. I want two reasons for that is one, like I said, it's just to get to know you. Secondly, is to hear about Notre Dame from your eyes. What you love about Notre Dame and what you see maybe are some challenges things that you'd like to see. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, first things first. He says, we need to build a solid foundation. Even though you may have heard it many times, he says, I want to make sure that we fully grasp it even more. That we've been claimed. That he's done something for us. He set us free from the powers of sin and the powers of death. The only reasonable response for that is us to first rededicate or dedicate our life to him or maybe rededicate our life to him and to surrender our lives to him in a way that we never have before and to say, I intend to put you first, Lord, or to come into my heart this morning as I'm struggling. Help me know you. And then we go out to tell those that are hurting, to tell those that are in darkness, that are without hope, those that are confused. There is hope, and that hope is found in Jesus Christ and his gospel.